This is an ABC podcast. You're out on the field having fun with your mates. It's a rough game and then bam, in the head. You feel a bit weird for a minute, but soon you're back to normal. What just happened though? And could that head knock and all the other ones you've had over the years come back to haunt you later? G'day, it's Dave Marchese with you for the Hack Podcast. Soon we're going to be joined by a big name in rugby league who's trying to figure out what his NRL career's done to his brain. Also, what's going on with this massive Optus data breach? Who could have access to your personal info and how did it even happen? First, though. Right now, on the other side of the planet, young people, and women in particular, are putting their bodies on the line to bring down their government. Protesters have stopped traffic, torched bins and buildings, and hurled petrol bombs at police. In this video, young women, who are required by law to cover their heads, are burning their hijabs. Many women have started singing and dancing in the street, acts that could see them arrested by Iran's religious authorities, the morality police. The protests were sparked by the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini. On September 13th, she was arrested by the morality police, who said her headscarf was too loose. She fell into a coma and died three days later. Iran's president, Ibrahim Rehisi, said she died of natural causes. Whether there is a party at fault, it must certainly be investigated. But Masa's family said she was perfectly healthy before her arrest. I asked them to show me the footage from the police officer's body cameras. They told me the cameras were out of charge. I asked them why you didn't transfer her to the hospital earlier when she collapsed at the police station. Protest videos, you'll hear this chant a lot. It means death to the dictator and refers to Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. Basically, in 1979, Iran went through an Islamic revolution. Since then, the Ayatollah has been in charge of politics and the army and enforces a strict Islamic code, often by force. There's a morality police over decades that has been tasked with harassment of women. Hadi Gahimi heads up the Centre for Human Rights in Iran, based in New York. Here he is talking to RN. It has nothing to do with morality or policing. It just to pick on women is really a form of political repression. Police have cracked down hard on the protesters. At least 17 people, but possibly as many as 40, have died in the protests. And the cops are using water cannons, tear gas, and some say even live ammunition to disperse the crowds. But the protests keep growing. Now it has reached at least 100 cities and towns. Hadi Gahimi says while there have been anti-government protests in Iran in the past, this time feels different. This is the ninth day of protests. They are out there and fighting back and not standing or running away is giving a lot of hope to people that this may be the very end of their Islamic Republic. Hack on Triple J. Shalala Medora with that update. I want to get into this a bit more. And with us now is Naz Almazi from the Iranian Women's Association. Hey, Naz, thanks for joining us on Hack. Hi, thanks for having me. The mood in Iran right now, it's very, very tense. Um, you're obviously keeping a close eye on this. You've got friends and family there. I'm wondering how widespread are these protests? Like, are they just in the big cities or are they everywhere? 
as you mentioned, the mood is extremely uh, disturbing these days. And it's not just people inside Iran, even for us living overseas. Uh, some of us have been here for years and years, but now none of us can sleep. We can't even eat because we keep watching all these videos, disturbing videos of people, of people getting hit and bashed just because they want to protest and they want their basic rights. These protests are actually happening in many, many small cities. It's not just in capital cities. So I can tell you the whole country is rising against everything that's happened. And it does seem like this is now more uh, than just the death of Masa Armini. Like, these protests mean a lot more. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, Masa Armini was murdered by this government and she was an innocent girl, so everyone's very, very disturbed and sad about her murder. However, uh, hijab, compulsory hijab and morality police who killed Massa are only one of the tools this government has been using for the past 45 years to um, oppose uh, violations against human, to, sorry, to um, violate against human rights, to just push people, uh, oppress people and not even give them basic rights. So um, that's why people are, are rising these days. Naz, have you seen demonstrations like this in Iran before? Because I know you were arrested in Iran yourself when you were 18 for taking part in protests. Yes, I was um, arrested in 2010 when those big protests were happening um, against the results of election. Um, and I can tell you what's happening these days on the streets is completely different to what I've seen before. Um, people used to be scared of this government. Um, obviously, they're fully armed. They, they're not scared of using weapons, even on teenagers, on women. Um, but these days, um, people are not scared. We see women, we see teenagers, not even 18. They go, um, they don't even have any arms. They just go barehandedly to the chest, to the, in the middle of these officers and just telling them done with the dictator. So this is very, very different to what we've seen over the past 45 years under this regime. People are not scared. Um, demonstrations are happening in every single, not even cities, but also villages. So this is this is something new. That's why we'd like to say we'd like to see a revolution. We'd like to see a big change because this is what people want. And just quickly, Naz, we don't have a lot of time left, but how are you hoping the world's going to respond to this? What kind of a world response would you like to see? Uh, we need everyone's support. We need everyone to be our voice. Uh, everyone in the community is trying their best, but it's not enough. We need the Australian community. We need the international communities as well as international leaders to uh, be our voice, to speak against these governments and their violations against human rights, not just women's rights. It's everyone's rights. So we need people to take action. We need governments to question the embassies. We need governments to uh, deport everyone who's related, who's spying on people to this, um, for this government. All right. Well, it's a, definitely a developing story. We appreciate your time. Naz Almasi from the Iranian Women's Network, thanks for joining us on Hack. Thank you for having me. Hack. A large number of people have had their data stolen and that looks like identifying information. On Triple J. If you're an Optus customer, you're probably feeling a bit exposed and a bit angry at the moment. 
And that's because one of the country's biggest cyber attacks has potentially exposed your personal info to hackers. We're talking about usernames, your date of birth, phone numbers, driver's license and passport numbers, maybe even your address. About 10 million Optus customers could be caught up in this. And then a twist over the weekend, somebody on an online forum claiming to have this stolen data and demanding a million dollars in ransom from Optus to stop it being spread. So how did this happen? Let's ask an expert. Jeremy Kirk is Executive Director of the Information Security Media Group. He knows a lot about security and he's with us now. G'day, Jeremy. Thanks so much for joining us on Hack. Thanks a lot for having me. Let's say you're an Optus customer, you're just hearing about all this. It sounds full on, but you don't know all the details. Should you be freaking out? Well, uh, no, I I wouldn't say you should freak out, but you should definitely be concerned. So what has happened is that basically a hacker has claimed to have stolen 11.2 million customer records from Optus. And this includes your name, your email address, uh, sometimes your driver's license, sometimes your passport number. And basically this person is trying to extort Optus. So he's basically says, or the person says, uh, unless you pay me $1 million in a cryptocurrency called Monero, I will sell this data to other cyber criminals. It's crazy. And I mean, a lot of people are going to be wondering, how did this happen? Like, did Optus stuff up? Optus hasn't officially said what has happened, but I think I got really close to it in my reporting. So it appears that they basically left what's called an application programming interface uh, open to the internet. So what appears to have happened here with Optus is that this API was just open on the internet. So literally, you didn't have to log into it at all. You, If you found it, and knew how to sort of trigger it to uh, return data, you could get data. And so I got in touch with the hacker and I asked, how did you do it? And and that's what he told me, basically. What? I mean, that's just going to seem wild to so many people that all of this information was there to be grabbed by somebody who knew how to get it. I mean, there is this threat that's been posted online by someone claiming that they've got the data, they posted a sample, um, said, as you you say, they want more than a million bucks in crypto from Optus to stop them selling it. Does it seem like this is legitimate? Yeah, so that's a good question. So I saw this advert on early Saturday morning and I saw the data samples. So the first thing that you have to do is try to confirm, well, is this Optus data? Is this really Optus data, right? Or is this person just putting this up there and kind of faking it, just saying it's Optus data and maybe it came from another, a different data breach? So what I, so I looked at the data, right? And there were some several strong signals that this indeed come from Optus. Uh, one of the tests that I put it through is that I looked at some of the email addresses and ran through them through a service called Have I Been Pwned, which tells you if an email address has appeared in a previous data breach. I did about two dozen email addresses and lots of them came back as being in other breaches, right? So that's a strong sign that maybe this stuff came from somewhere else. But six of the email addresses, they weren't in any other data breaches. And so that's a very strong sign that this is Optus's data. And then I was looking at it again, and then I actually, you know, it's got people's addresses. So I, I saw an address that was just down the road from me. I literally like ride my bike past this house wow. <laughs> when I do exercise. And so I told my wife, I said, I'm just going to get dressed and go down there and see if they're home. So I printed this woman's data out and I went down there. I printed out a couple of news stories, you know, just in case she was, you know, unfamiliar with what was going on. And she actually, she was in her front yard. 
So I come ambling up, the, <laughs> ambling up the drive, you know, guy with an American accent with her driver's license number <laughs> and a bunch of personal data. And I, you know, I explained who I was and said, um, you know, I'm trying to verify if this is actually Optus's data. Is this your, is this your data? And she's like, yeah, that is. She pulled out her phone and checked her driver's license number. Okay, so that's a very strong signal, right? We know, she, we know that this data is her data. Now the question is, did it come from Optus? So I asked her, like, are you, were you an Optus subscriber? And she says, I was until 2018. Optus has said that this data goes from 2017 to about the present day. So that was all lining up uh, really strongly. And there was, a, there was also a third strong signal. There was a bunch of dummy email addresses in there. And what I mean by dummy email addresses is like, you know, when you sign up for like, broadband, they'll often just give you an email account. You know, you never end up using it or anything. But it looks like Optus did that with people who didn't give an email address, right, when they signed up. They, they just gave them like an address that said no underscore email, bunch of numbers at optus.com.au, right? So I thought, okay, well, <laughs> those emails would only go to one place, you know, anything set with that address, and that would be Optus. So that was a very, and that, those, those email addresses also did not appear in any other data breaches. So at this point, I'm very, very confident that this person has data that is Optus's data. Well, the federal police say they're investigating. Optus is saying that it's not had any contact with any hacker. There's been no demand for a ransom in return for the data. But look, it is being investigated. I'm wondering, is there any way of knowing if your info is being compromised? Or do you just assume that if you are with Optus that it has been? They are sending out notifications and they're doing this in phases. So I believe that they were going to try to reach out first to the people who had, uh, I guess, kind of the most data or the most sensitive data believed to have been compromised. But it's kind of a phase process. So a lot of people have been saying, uh, have been coming to me and say, hey, I got an email, um, but I don't know what data is compromised, right? And some people are saying, hey, I'm an Optus subscriber and I don't have anything at all. So am I affected? And we don't really know because I don't think they finished exactly notifying everybody just yet. Uh, so it will take, it will take a bit and Optus has put some, if, you know, you can go to Optus's web uh, site and they're, they're posting updates on, on, on this process of notifying people. So I think they expect to complete it in the next few days. Uh, I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more about this in the days and weeks ahead. Jeremy Kirk from the Information Security Media Group. Thank you so much for joining us on Hack. Thanks for having me. Hack on Triple J. Yeah, and in a statement today, Optus says it sent email or SMS messages to all the customers whose ID document numbers were compromised because of the cyber attack. They've apologised for any concern, but they say payment detail and account passwords have not been compromised as a result of the attack. On the text line, people are messaging in. Sammy, you say, I got an email saying my personal info is being compromised. I really want to cancel my plan, but owe $400 on my device, but can't afford to pay it out and leave. It's really frustrating. I'm nervous that I'm going to end up with my identity stolen or my accounts hacked. Hack. Oh, what about that? Sims has run over the top of Graham. Bang. Elbow right on the chin. He's screaming out, I'm all right. He wants to get up, but he's done. On Triple Jack. Well, if you play contact sport, it's pretty much guaranteed that you've been knocked in the head. Rugby league, rugby union, AFL. In so many of our favourite sports, concussion is sadly way too common. People black out, they get dizzy, massive headaches. Even if you don't play these sports, you would have seen a heap of head knocks on TV or even down at the local footy oval. Concussions just been a part of sport in Australia for so long, for everyone from our elite athletes 
down to kids. But what's it doing to our brains? Maybe it's something you've thought a lot about or it's worrying you more and more now. Let me know, 0439 757 There's a lot more research into it now, but while we are getting a better idea of how significant the risks of concussion might be long-term, there is still a lot that we don't know and there's still a heap of people who need convincing. Well, now, a big investigative podcast is looking into it. It's been made by The Australian. It's hosted by former NRL player James Graham, and it's called Head Noise. It's out now, and James Graham is with us in studio. Hey, James, thanks so much for coming in and joining us on Hack. My pleasure. And we've also got an expert with us as well. Dr Rowena Mobbs knows a lot about concussion and dementia. Rowena, thank you for your time as well. Thanks for having me. James, I want to start with you. You've played hundreds of games of rugby league, right? And in that time, you had thousands of head knocks and you reckon you were concussed more than a hundred times. When did you start to think about what kind of impacts this might be having on your brain? Yeah, so the the number of concussions, that's by definition. Un- until I uh, began this podcast, I think the the number of registered official concussions would have been in the 20s mark. But it wasn't until I'd spoke with doctors like Rowena that defined concussion and I'd thought about it and thought, well, wow, it's significantly more than that. Um, Concussion has been on my mind for a number of years now. You know, going back sort of 10, 15 years, I've always considered it. I've liked to go above and beyond and not plead ignorance with this um, with this illness or, or, or with this byproduct of our sport. So I've wanted to get as much information as possible for, for a number of years now. You've been pretty outspoken about concussion in the past. Like you weren't always on this side of the debate and you once said um, that you liked playing. The consequences of that are sometimes that you get hit in the head. What's changed? Like, why why did you change um, kind of your opinion on how serious this is? Well, well I've always known it was serious. Mm. Um, I was a you know very high risk taking individual. Um, I put my sporting performance on a pedestal um, above my future health. I was living in the present as opposed to living you know concerned about my my future my future self. Um, I just most think it, young players would do that. Yeah, right? exactly. That's that's a that's that's youth, isn't it? That's um, living in the moment. So I'd sacrificed a tremendous amount to to get to the stage where I was a professional athlete. Um, so I was frightened that anyone was going to take that away. I was worried about losing my spot, losing a contract or whatever it may be. So I certainly wanted to um, take responsibility for my for my own health. And, and, and part of that was m- me managing concussion. But I always knew that it was a serious issue. I never once downplayed the severity of concussions. Um, now I feel I, I'm in a space that I think we can make positive change. I've spoke to a number of experts. Um, I have a m- my position comes from I understand the psyche of the athlete and what it takes and and how they're thinking. Uh, a good example of that for for any listeners out there would be to look up Goldman's dilemma, um, which is a, a dilemma that was put to. Olympic athletes at the time, uh, many years ago, the the study has been repeated over time where they were asked if they were to take a pill, um, they win the Olympic gold, but in five years' time, they die. 
And, um, you know, it's amazing the amount of people that even say yes, even one wow. person saying yes, it's, it's crazy. So, uh, yes, the, 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 the answers to yes and no have, have changed over time, but that gives you a bit of insight into how an athlete is thinking at the top level. Well, we're starting to see more and more athletes, um, you know, speak out about this. It's becoming more common. You've got this podcast out. It's called Head Noise. And in it, you explore these really confronting questions about sport and concussion, the risk, the reward masculinity, all sorts of stuff. And you talk to other high-profile athletes about their experiences like NRL star Maddie Johns, and there's some hectic stuff in there. Like Maddie reveals that he was first knocked out cold when he was six. Here's a bit of that chat. Whenever I got a head knock, whether it was a knockout or a micro knockout, was it, I had deja vu. It was a bit like a, a scratch on a, a vinyl record, and I'd just go there and then... And, um, That's bizarre. Yes, in those deja vu moments, Matty would be out cold on the football field, but his deep memory would always take him to the same place as a small boy on a merry-go-round with his granddad by his side. I mean, that's really scary stuff. James, what's been the most confronting part of making this podcast for you or the most surprising part? Yeah, so hearing stories like that about Matthew, it, it just wasn't on people's radar back then when he was growing up. It just wasn't a concern. We speak to my father as well about when he, he first introduced me to rugby league and concussion wasn't an issue. It just wasn't as well known back then. And um, look, I guess in terms of being surprised, confronting, I'd be foolish to think that me playing the sport hasn't had an effect on me. So I guess when I get some of these test results, I'm not necessarily surprised. Uh, I speak to some former athletes and you know, I hear the the struggles that they're going through now. But again, I'm not surprised by that. What does surprise me is that it's taking so long to get any form of action and positive change. We're going to get to that in a bit. Uh, you are listening to Hack. I'm hearing so many thoughts on the text line on this from Brian. He says, I played rugby league for about 20 years until I was 27. I sometimes wonder when I do get a bit forgetful if it's related to the head knocks I've had. Colin says, we've known about concussions impact for years. Look at the NFL and Hollywood movies about it. The NRL needs to act. And somebody else says, I've had six major concussions and a few little ones. I found that I get angry a lot quicker and easier. Could that be the case? Well, let's find out a little bit more about what's going on inside the brain. I am speaking with NRL great James Graham. He's got a new podcast out about this. I've also got neurologist Dr. Rowena Mobbs with me. Rowena, what happens to our brains when we're concussed? Well, a concussion is the symptoms that emerge after a head injury. This is a mild traumatic brain injury, it's otherwise known as, but there are also subconcussions. So they're the micro knocks that happen microscopically in the brain. There's probably some inflammation, protein abnormalities. If that then is repeated and there's an accumulation, you can end up with this type of problem, this dementia called CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy in some players, we think. It takes a lot of years of a lot of head knocks to do it, but we are seeing the effects. And as James was saying before, like people might not realise that they are being concussed. Like the, the definition might be a bit skewed or they might think, oh no, I'm okay, that was nothing, right? 
Definitely. Most concussions are actually missed or not recorded or not recognised because traditionally people think it's a knockout. Most concussions are the symptoms you get without a knockout. So they're things like nausea or double vision or confusion, not feeling right. And uh, so I think there's a large piece of work here to educate people about concussion, about picking it up, looking for the signs of how a player looks when they get concussed. Are they wobbly and ataxic, we call it? Are they slow in their movements? Are they confused in their speech and then we can do a lot more to get people off the field I think. You talked about CTE something that we're learning a lot more about how's it diagnosed? Well, it's diagnosed with a, a cognitive expert, so a neurologist is, can be very helpful. We also work with neuropsychologists, so they're people who map out the brain for cognition, for thinking. And we do brain scans and rule out any other cause and think about other things that might be mimicking CTE. So it's a diagnosis of excluding things, but also recognising the signs. So it can be mood and memory loss over many years, disturbance such as anger and rage attacks that happen in people. I call it supermarket rage, so we hear time and time again people get angry if someone's in front of them in the queue, for example, or road rage attacks are common in CTE. But this unfortunately worsens over time until people really run into trouble with a type of dementia, like sort of like Alzheimer's. James Graham, do you recognise any of that in you? Like, is there anything that you look at your life and you go, oh, maybe that's related? Uh, Yeah, well, I I tick a lot of the boxes um, for CTE, but in no means do I think that that I have it now. Will it manifest later on? Possibly, potentially. But look, I say this throughout the podcast. I don't, I don't want sympathy. I don't want sympathy for um, the way I played, uh, who I used to be, um, and some of the unintended consequences from that. What I'd like is some solutions, not sympathy. So the solutions could be just educating people around some of the other lifestyle factors that come into play when perhaps putting the brakes on something uh, on a degenerative brain issue. That that's the. That's the big education piece for, for former athletes. And I can't change the past. What's done is done. But I can look to the future and make some positive changes. I'm not going to be perfect all the time, but there's certainly some steps I can take in order to not necessarily prevent a degenerative brain issue, but at least put the brakes on it or prolong my health span. James, do you reckon we need to be seeing big changes in the NRL? Like in the AFL, if you get concussed, you automatically miss the following week regardless uh, if it's a do-or-die game, whatever. Should we be seeing NRL players sidelined for seven days minimum if they get a concussion? Yeah, look, this is an incredibly complex issue because you know we need our athletes to be truthful. When it comes to concussion, we spoke to Dr. Rowena Mobs there and saying that, you know, what a concussion is by definition. Sometimes these tests are just pure honesty tests. Mm. So it's something that we need to consider about mandating a, a medical suspension. There are other areas that I think that um, not just the NRL, but other contact sports can help prevent these degenerative brain issues coming into play. For example, limiting the amount of contact training that um, takes place throughout the season and in the preseason. That's something that the NFL have done tremendously well and it doesn't appear to have any second phase or third phase consequences. It's bought in by the Players Association. The coaches have got on board and everybody just accepts it now that contact sessions are a thing of the past or those severe contact, heavy contact sessions are a thing of the past. Like Dr. Mob said, a lot of these concussions go undiagnosed and we're only focusing on the things that happen on the field of play, not the ones that happen away from the field. That's an area that I think is the 
quickest fix for the greatest for, for the greatest outcome. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot more that we need to be finding out about this research by people like Dr. Rowena Mobs. Rowena, what kinds of things should people be doing to protect themselves? Well, I think firstly, looking at your history of repeated head injury, if you can limit that possibly. So it's things like changes in training but to, and uh, reducing, uh, you know, declaring concussion on the field, maybe even looking at the amount of years you're exposing yourself to repetitive head injury. These are tough questions, but we kind of have to face them together. And it's not, of course, just the responsibility of the concussed or head injured player here. Not even prospectively, if you educate people, it should be in the realm of these codes, the professional codes, and also at grassroots level, government involvement and increased safety and protocols to put structure around what players do, what parents do, how the coaches treat concussed uh, players and reduce their overall CT risk. And James Graham, just very quickly, there's a bunch of young people out there who play contact sport, going to be listening. They get knocked out on the footy field, but they want to keep playing for whatever reason. What would you say to those people? Go and see a doctor. Look, we know the benefits of, of sport on an individual level, on a community level and society level in general. So we don't want to attack our sports. We want to people keep playing, but you've got to put your safety first. And if you are concussed, remove yourself from the field of play. Well, look, it's a really, really powerful podcast. It's called Head Noise. It's out now. Go check it out wherever you get your podcasts. NRL player, former NRL player, James Graham, really appreciate you coming in to talk about this because I know it's not an easy thing to talk about, I wouldn't imagine, but so many people have got a lot out of it. So thank you very much. And also Dr. Rowena Mobbs, thank you so much for your expert insight into this as well. Thank We've you. got some messages coming through. Someone says, I had to quit ice hockey due to multiple concussions in two seasons. It's not taken seriously enough in recreational sport. Hack on Triple J. Huge thanks again to former NRL player James Graham and also to Dr. Rowena Mobbs for their insight into this really, really important discussion about head injuries. We're going to be talking more about that and the podcast is really great. You should go check it out. That is all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.